This is Shack Talk, presented by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear and hosted by Kyle Agri and Anthony Kleinwachter. Turn up your speakers, grab your gear, and hit the ice with us as we talk ice fishing. Come on in and grab a bucket. We are talking ice fishing. Kyle Agri and Anthony Kleinwachter here. We are your hosts, and this is Shack Talk Ice Fishing Podcast. Anthony, it's uh, season six here, episode seven. This season is cooking along, and uh, as we record this, I can sort of sense the anxiousness in you. You've got one more sleep, and you're headed to one of those bucket list destinations to go out and chase some pretty awesome trophy potential fish. Where are you headed tomorrow? Yeah, by the time this airs, um, my feet should be firmly planted out on the ice out on uh, Fort Peck, Montana. We're making the the journey out across the Dakotas into Montana and going to go chase some fish out there. Uh, primary species is going to be lake trout. I, you know, if anybody's been following along with some of the stuff that's been going on on social media and YouTube the last couple of years, it's a, it's starting to blow up a little bit. There's a lot of attention to it. Um, we're really hoping that it can continue to maintain that momentum and the pressure, but uh, it's quite the fishery out there and just really hoping that we can get on some great fish. Well, I truly good luck. I, you're going to enjoy that trip. That's one of those places that's on my bucket list. And uh, we're working to see if we can make it out there this year. If not this year, it will not be too far into the future. That's for sure. And hopefully you take good notes while you're out there and we'd be willing to share those with me when you get back. Cause uh, that is one of those places that's pretty unique, just being a reservoir, the size that it is. And, um, of course, we all take our cumulative fishing knowledge where we go from one place to the next, but uh, certain places like that, I think, are, are kind of unique in how those fish behave and, and where they're located and so on. Yeah, absolutely. With it being the size that it is and, and just the difference in climate out in Montana, I mean, it it is unique in the fact that it's such a short season. I mean, with as cold as it's been this winter, they've only got, you know, 10 to 12 inches of ice. So, I mean, it's not somewhere where you can access the whole lake for, you know, the entire year, however you want to. And, you know, that's one of the things we've been, we had all plans to go out there last year and the ice wasn't good. So we didn't. And, you know, even this year, they're having some cracks and some issues with ice, but it's something that you got to be mindful of. And, you know, we'll play it safe, but it is something where you need to have that knowledge and, and use those resources with the, you know, local businesses and marinas and bait shops and everything to, to know where to go and be safe. So yeah, absolutely. Can't wait to, to share the experience and uh, just really looking forward to getting out there. Well, good luck. Enjoy your trip. Uh, but speaking of climate, wow, this ice season has not been without its challenges, at least, you know, where you and I live here in Fargo, North Dakota, Moorhead, Minnesota, that's, that's where both you and I live. And if I look across Northern Minnesota, and really quite, you know, a fair distance down into the state of Minnesota. If I look across the Dakotas, if I look into Wisconsin, I'm seeing snow. I'm seeing a lot of snow. And I know at least within our kind of what I would call our local range where, where we do a lot of our ice fishing here in the heart of the ice belt, man, between the, the snow on the ice that's causing the slush in the water and the wind because, you know, you get that slush and, and whatnot. If you find some areas that are dry, you, you get an area, you know, plowed out or, or accessible. It doesn't take one storm. And we've been having three, four of them a week. And these, these roads or trails are, are blowing right back in again. It's challenging. What are you seeing out there, Anthony? 
Yeah, it's been difficult. I mean, with the the cold that we've had, I feel like it's been a little bit unseasonably cold this winter. And a lot, like you said, a lot of wind that comes with it. If it's, if it's not cold, it's windy. And if it's not windy, it's snowing. And so it, it has made things difficult. Um, you know, bites been tough at certain times and really had to, to pick those opportunity times to get out there. And I'm just, I'm just hoping that we're going to catch the benefits of this on the back end where we're going to have a nice long spring with some good ice conditions and going to be able to enjoy those 40 degree days out on the ice. So that's really what I'm hoping for, but you know, buckle down, get out in the shack, uh, you know, make, take advantage of it. I know you spent some time out on the ice in the hard shacks the last couple of weekends. And so you got to make do with what you got. And you know, if that's hunkering down and doing that, you got to do that too. Yeah, it is. And, you know, we, last weekend we were in the, the wheelhouses and, and they make great home bases, right? And and we happened to uh, uh, rent these houses from Randon Olson, uh, someone that has been on the podcast before, Lockjaw Guide Service there in Ottertail County. He set us up on some walleye spots. And so we knew that when we were in the hard houses, we had those bite windows, you know, dusk and dawn. And that was going to be our prime time to be in the house. But, you know, you've got a lot of hours in between, a lot of time in between. And so we, we loaded up and brought the sleds with, we brought the portables and spent some time out in the lake chasing around uh, crappies and panfish during the day. And I, and I got to tell you, this past week, there were, I don't know, three clipper systems that came through where we had snow, we had wind, we had temperature fluctuations, pressure fluctuations, and it showed those fish did not want to cooperate. And we caught some, but it wasn't a, a bonanza type of day. And I am just looking forward to when we get a couple of days of stable weather here, because I just have a feeling that things are going to go bonkers once it once it settles down. And and if you're on the ice those days, uh, you're gonna you're gonna be in for a real treat. Yeah, my advice is be patient. If you've been waiting to get out on the ice, hopefully you got some some days or some uh, some weekend credits with the significant other to be able to get out on the ice. Because once it does warm up, like you said, and stabilize, uh, things should hopefully be good. And you know, we can only hope for a nice long ice season to to spend some time out on the ice. Hey, Anthony, just to give a shout out to a few of our uh, cohorts out there, and and you know, we do our podcast and and we have a, a blast doing it, but. There's a lot of great ice fishing information out there. And, and folks, if you haven't seen it, number one, go check out Fish Addictions. Um, and, and you can find Fish Addictions on YouTube. Just some great, and I got a feeling you're going to be recording a show out there when you're at Fort Peck. Is that a safe assumption? Yeah, we'll definitely be having yeah. the cameras rolling. Yes. And and so you can follow the adventures of, of Anthony and that whole crew Highly recommend doing that. You know, we've had a number of, of your group on there, onto the podcast as guests, and great, great anglers, great teachers. And the other one is is go on and check out what Jay Siemens is doing with Meat Eater. He's doing the Canadian, is the Canadian Angle is what it's called. And it's all about ice fishing in the winter uh, up in his neck of the woods there, up in Kenora, Ontario. Uh, another phenomenal piece of content. So uh, just to satisfy those needs when you, can't get out on the ice when you're stuck at home and, and you're looking for something on either the smartphone, the tablet, or even on, on TV, if you've got streaming available, uh, both of those would be well worth your time to watch. Yeah. You have to take in all the content that you can when the weather's bad, because you know, when it turns nice, you know, you're not going to have that time to get out there and you're going to be busy fishing and won't be able to watch it. So yeah, 
Thanks for the, thanks for the kind words. Yeah. Well, we can't wait to share the experience out at Peck with everyone. And I know I've been uh, following along with what Jay's been doing this winter too. And it's fun to see that content as well. It's great. It's great. And speaking of some great content, Anthony, I am very excited here. Uh, we're going to bring our guest in for this episode of Shack Talk momentarily. Uh, we have a guy that both you and I know real well. Uh, he happens to be a very good friend of my son. And so uh, I get a lot of kind of the secondhand stories as well as what, you know, I, I see from him personally. And uh, you want to talk about somebody who is just completely engrossed in fishing. This is a guy who lives, breathes, eats, and sleeps fishing. And uh, I can't wait to hear from him. Uh, we're going to be talking to Jaden Thomas. Jaden is a... Uh, He's just an all-around fishing fanatic. It uh, doesn't matter the time of year. doesn't matter the species. He's chasing it. He's chasing all of them. And uh, we're going to talk a little panfish. We're going to talk about some trophy bluegills, some trophy crappies, get some advice from him and his years of experience and his knowledge that he's gained out there in the ice chasing these big panfish. And so, Anthony, with that, let's... Uh, Let's take a quick break here and let's not waste any more time. Let's bring Jaden right on in. Folks, uh, stick around here. We will uh, be back momentarily with Jaden Thomas. We welcome our guest to Shack Talk Podcast. I'd like to uh, introduce a good friend of both Kyle and I's. We've uh, sp spent some time with this guy on the water and really, you know, we're selfish and we wanted to kind of pick his brain a little bit and get some info. So I'd like to welcome uh, Jaden Thomas. He's a Shields fishing expert and he's also one of those guys that he's just a fish head. He likes to get out on the ice. He fishes with a lot of great guys out on the ice throughout the ice season and if you're not following around on social media, what he's up to, uh, make sure to do that because he's always out on the ice with some great guys. Uh, Jaden, welcome to Shack Talk. Appreciate you guys having me. Love your guys' podcast. Got to give you guys a few compliments. Uh, you guys do a great job of bringing on the right people to talk about the right things. It's always a pleasure listening. So it's a real honor to actually be on the show getting up. So thank you guys. Yeah, go ahead, Kyle. I was just going to say, we're pretty picky and we're selfish. We pick who, you know, we want to pick their brain. That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, Jaden, for a lot of people, I would say they're an outdoor enthusiast, right? Because so many of the guests we have, oh, they, they fish, they hunt, they do this, they do that. I don't know if you do anything other than fish because it's like a 24-7, 365 day passion for you. Is Is there anything else in your life outside of fishing Honest, honestly no i mean i you growing up um like you know in high school and early college i, I played a lot of basketball that was probably the second closest passion of mine you know, i love following basketball college nba uh just the last few years i just really fell out of it um and just went even deeper into fishing than i already was i i fishing is on my mind like you said 24 7 365 days a year i don't hunt i don't do anything else all summer I fish, all spring, all fall, winter ice fish. I, I, nothing else gets me going like fishing. Nothing else interests me more than fishing. What um, what got you introduced to fishing? I know most of our guests we talk to, um, you know, it's a family member, a friend that gets them into fishing. What uh, really sparked the interest for you in, in getting involved in fishing? You know, uh, I have, I'd say, uh, three people that I really have to thank 
or that I credit for uh, making me the fisherman I am today. Actually, no, I, I, I lost that to four. Uh, it starts like a lot of other people. I'm sure uh, my grandpa, uh, my grandpa got me in the fishing when I was two years old. Um, and I have, I have clear as day memory of my first fish at two years old. It was uh, at our, the campground I was on, uh, Swanee's resort campground is on middle Cormorant over in, uh, Beck, over in Becker County. Um, there was a little Creek that ran that connected big Cormorant to middle Cormorant. And that Creek ran behind, uh, the general store and bar in the, uh, campground and ran all the way to big Cormorant. And I used to fish that little Creek every single day as a kid, um, in the summers. But my grandpa, uh, he's the one who put the rod in my hand. Said I, clear as day, I remember catching my first bluegill out of there on a little uh, yellow and white, like two and a half foot Snoopy rod on a, craw- on a piece of crawler and a bobber as a kid. And ever since then, I've been hooked ever since. Um, so I, I, my grandparents had a camper down there for 20 some odd years from ages two to 15 from uh, May through early September. Every weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I was fishing that creek. Um, I would get up at 5.30, 5 in the morning. I was up before everyone else in the campground. I'd grab my rod. Uh, when I was a little kid, I'd put on my jeans, put, wrap two hot dogs out of the fridge in paper towels, and I'd go and I'd fish a bobber, a, a jig, and a hot dog, and I would catch crappies, uh, bass, pike, bullheads, uh, rock bass, bluegill. I caught everything that swims in that creek. And to this day, I still say I caught, I've caught more fish than anyone else out of that creek. Um, and I, I'd put my life and every uh, coin of money that I own on that statement. Um, I was out there 24 seven from sunup to sundown. I only came back to the camper around noon to eat a snack. And I only came back once it got dark and I couldn't see anymore. I, I fished constantly. It's quite the story. I, uh, I can <laughs> relate and appreciate that. I, you know, some of my very earliest memories as a child that I can remember was catching my first fish off the dock. I'm pretty sure it was on a piece of corn. I'm pretty sure it was a bluegill as well. So I definitely have those fond memories. Uh, you mentioned a few other people that got you kind of introduced into the sport. Um, who else uh, was pretty important or vital to your get, catching the fishing bug? Yeah. Um, so I said, I fished that Creek all the time. Uh, as I got older though, you know, I, I was so into fishing. I, I knew I was into fishing not, I, I didn't think I was better than anyone else my age, but I knew I was into fishing more than anyone else just because I was doing it more than anyone else, and I, that's all that interests me. I'd hang out with some of the other campground kids at night, you know, hang around the campfire, they'd talk about other things, you know, school, uh, guys talk about girls or stuff. I just want to talk fishing. Like, I really didn't care about anything else. I'd just sit there and just wait for someone else to mention that they went fishing that day, and I'd peek in, like, yeah, me too. But, um, the, the other gentleman I have to thank, uh, one who's probably, who's probably the most, important influence in my life as far as fishing was a gentleman by the name of Mike Weeks. Um, he was a family friend of ours who had also been the same campground. And when I was nine years old, he started taking me out in his boat out fishing. So I got to experience, you know, fishing out in a boat, uh, chasing different species and uh, different tactics to try to catch them. And uh, he was a big influence in my life for well over 10 years. I mean, he's the, he's the one who uh, just ex- exposed so many different lakes to me. Uh, he's who I started fishing tournaments with when I was uh, uh, about 15. I started fishing the walleye or us circuit around uh, Otter Tail County and Becker County. Uh, he's who I also uh, got my first uh, uh, good tournament finish with on Big Cormorant when I was 18 years old. Uh, he was just a huge influence in my life uh, for many, many years. 
uh, exposed me to ice fishing. He got me, he's the one who got me into ice fishing too. I caught my first uh, fish through the ice with him. Um, and he didn't have to do that. You know, he, we had no blood relation at all. He was just friends with my grandparents at the campground, but he, uh, made it a point to continue to take me out every single weekend, uh, in the summers. And then we exchanged numbers when I was about 12 or 13 and he started to, or gosh, even younger than that, probably 10 or 11. And he started taking me out ice fishing in the winters. He even took me out in the fall, you know, out in his boat to show me what fall fishing was all about. I used to do a little hunting with my grandpa when I was younger, about 10 to 12. But as soon as I found out about fall fishing, that, that, that acts that I had no interest in that at all anymore. Uh, when I found out like the fish get bigger and eat even more in September, October, November, that there was no chance of me hunting ever again. The other gentleman, the other gentleman I'd say who uh, really influenced probably my passion for walleyes and really piqued my interest for walleyes was another gentleman at the campground uh, named Kelly Dunow. Um, he actually, uh, he was uh, known as uh, a serious walleye fisherman at campground when I was young. He used to always fish big cormorants all the time in May and June uh, from walleye opener until pretty much the fourth. Um, he's the one who taught me how to pull lindy rigs, how to, uh, how the effective way to fish live bait how to keep bait lively, like how uh, uh, he taught me a trick where when I was a kid to have the juiciest night crawlers, you would buy night crawlers from a store. You replace, you, a lot of them came in either outdated worm bedding because they've been sitting in a fridge for a couple weeks or a month, or um, they come in dirt. He taught me you take, you buy fresh worm bedding, you get like a pound of it from a store for like five bucks. You place your worms in that, soak it with a little bit of water, and then you throw a scoop of uh, oats in there. Let those fish sit all you let or not fish, you let those worms sit in that container all weekend by the weekend right fish. They are juicier, healthier, and wrigglier than any other uh worms you get from the store. And that made a huge difference when we go walleye fishing. He's also one who he gave me a copy uh uh Walleye Wisdom, the in fisherman book. And when I was uh gosh, I was eleven. I was in sixth grade when I read it and I brought it to school and read it during my reading time, my English class. I remember I used to get made fun of all the time because I was such a fishing nerd. I knew that this is what I wanted to do and all I wanted to do. So I read that cover to cover and that I can really say uh, because of him giving me that book and, uh, you know, taking me out and showing me like, we're not, we're not just going fishing. We're going walleye fishing. We're going to target a specific species and we're going to do it with this specific technique. That showed me that, uh, you know, there's a, there's, there's fishing, then there's serious fishing. And that really got me, made me a serious fisherman. And that really got me uh, my love for walleyes uh, as a kid. So uh, from there then said, I, I fished with my, uh, my buddy Mike a ton. And we really got into, uh, we really kind of figured out the walleyes when I was about 13 years old out on Big Cormorant. And we spent a lot of years figuring out that lake, dissecting that lake. Uh, so that I, that's what I consider my home body water. And I really know it like the back of my hand at this point. I'm still always learning, but I have a lot of good go-to spots and really pattern the fish from opener all the way through ice up on that lake uh, because of those two gentlemen. Um, and because of those two gentlemen, Mike and Kelly, I am, I, I can truly say I wouldn't be the fisherman I am today uh, without those two in my life at an early age. And the last person I would have to say uh, who has a huge impact on my fishing and still does is uh, my uncle, uh, Eric Thomas. Um, he, he got, he started get really get, he always knew I was into fishing, but then he started getting the fishing when my, uh, my younger cousin, who you probably see all the time on my social media is who I'm hanging out fishing with my young cousin, Tyler, that's his son. Uh, Tyler really got interested in fishing. He's about four or five years old. So my uncle bought a little boat, like a little 14 footer. And then he would call me up and say, Hey, do you want to, you want to go fishing? You want to uh, help us find fish? And my uncle literally first time uh, he pulled up the boat, he really tossed me the keys and said, put us on them. So 
he literally, he literally gave me the keys to become a better fisherman. That's when I learned how to run my own boat. I learned boat control. I learned, um, you know, patterning fish on different lakes throughout the year, just because I had that freedom now to take this little boat and go out pretty much whenever I wanted, as long as I was willing to take my cousin, which wasn't a condition at all, because that's who I wanted to fish with anyway. Um, so that just opened the door for me to be able to fish as much as I wanted, do whatever I wanted and try different things that a lot, may, probably a lot of other people at, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old don't get to do or try or experience for whatever reasons. But I'm really blessed. Uh, I try to tell him as much as possible. I'm thankful I am for him. Um, I, if he ever listens to this, I hope you know, I, uncle, I hope you know that, uh, know that I love you. And I can truly say I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for him. I just love hearing stories like that, Jaden, because, you know, you can go out and recruit anybody that, that uh, proclaims to be an expert to talk about fishing. But when it's that close to your heart and, and it has that big of an impact on your life, really from such a young age, that's where, you know, people are going to have a chance to get to know you. And that's where people have a chance to understand the, the passion and, and kind of what makes people so in love with the sport of fishing. And that's super cool. I got to ask you one question. We got to back up because you said something important. And right when you said it, the, the audio kind of glitched out just a little bit. So new worm bedding. And then you add a scoop of what for a week? A uh, scoop of oats, like, like oatmeal. Oats. Um, the oatmeal. worms will, the worms will, will yeah, like, like Quaker oats. Just take like Got one it. of the little, like, like a table, tablespoon of oats or then the worms eat that. And it, it helps them grow. They get really fat and sassy. And uh, uh, walleyes love them, especially in June when you sell crawlers, like on deep weed lines, walleyes, they go crazy over them. That's awesome. Thank you. That's, that's important. I, I know I'm not the only one listening to this thinking, <laughs> what do you say? What do you say? Hey, um, so, you know, you, you've had a lot of really positive influences that have, that have helped you grow that passion for fishing uh, so much so that it's not just a, a passion that you pursue on the weekends. I mean, you're living it every single day. As Anthony mentioned, you're, you're a Shields expert. Tell us a little bit about your career, just kind of what's brought you to, to work in the industry and, and what you do for folks. Yeah, so I'm one of the fishing managers here at the Fargo uh, uh, Shields here in Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, I've worked there now. Uh, I'll have my eight-year anniversary, uh, March 17th. Um, I started it when I was a junior in high school. I started at 17 years old. At the time, I was working at Denny's in Fargo here, and I just needed – I was tired of that. I wanted a different job. I wanted to do something fishing-related. So I, I tried to – I applied at two places. I applied at Gander Mountain in Fargo, and I applied at Shields. Walked in the shields, went to customer service, say, hey, I'd like to apply for a job, handed me a paper application, filled it out, and they're like, okay, you got your first interview right now. So uh, I was like, perfect. In person, uh, one, of the, one of the ASLs, uh, assistant store leaders, that's the managers in the white shirts you see walk around if you're ever in the shields, came over. I did like a nice, quick 10, 15-minute interview just to get to know you. Uh, so they said, yep, we'll take, uh, seem like a good fit. We'll take your application. I'll go through uh, internal processes, and we'll give you a call. They gave me a call about... Uh, two weeks later, um, I got, I was hired. I started out as a cashier out on the first floor and checkout. I worked as a cashier. Uh, so I was hired in March. I worked as a cashier till uh, July. Then uh, after a couple months of doing it, I realized like this isn't what I want to do. I want to work up in fishing. I want to talk to people. I want to sell stuff. I, I, want, I want to talk fishing with people every day. They prefer their sales associate to be 18 years or older. 
that's for a few reasons. Uh, there's a couple items like knives and uh, gun, uh, gunpowder and bullets and uh, uh, hard lines or you know outdoor outdoor equipment. You have to be a certain age to buy, so they prefer their salesmen to be old enough to buy it to be able to sell it. Uh, if that makes sense. So uh, I I would look in the internal job applications to Shield every single week, waiting for a position official waiting. Finally, uh, in late June, a position opened up, and I mean I. When I asked everybody, hey, how do I how do I get an application for this? How do I who do I talk to? And I got a lot of people told me, oh, you're not really old enough yet. So finally, one of the ASLs, a John Burt, uh, who was supervisor fish at time, he gave me a shot. Said, yeah, I'll give you your interview. We'll see. Um, I must have did something right in the interview. I to me, I just talked fishing the whole time for like 20 minutes. And he's like, I'm gonna hire you. I think you I think you got the right stuff. And that's that's where it started and been going good ever since. I worked part-time. I finished high school. I went to college for two years, worked part-time for four years, um, uh, left school, uh, started working more at Shields mid, as mid-time, working about 33 to 37 hours a week. Finally, uh, in 2018, uh, one of the shop managers before me, Jason Sierinski, left to pursue uh, other endeavors, and uh, they opened up position for full-time fishing manager. I applied for it and I got the job and I've been running the fishing shop ever since. Talking fishing and sharing stories all day long, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a dream come true. You know, I've always looked, I always looking for my way, you know, into the, you know, the industry as everyone calls it. And th- I think I've really found my niche. Uh, I, I'm a people person. My mom says I was give, given the gift of gab. Um, I feel like I can talk with anyone about anything or at least, you know, be able to hold a conversation um, when it comes to fishing, I feel like I can hang with anyone. Not saying I know more than anyone, but I feel like I can at least talk or share the excitement or passion with anyone, no matter what kind of species or presentation they choose to fish. And when people want help, I'll gladly help them in any way I can. You know, I, I like seeing and helping people catch more and bigger fish than they ever have before. Nothing makes my day more when at this point, you know, I got a lot of repeat customers who I'm thankful for. Nothing makes me feel better when they come back and tell me, hey, you know, that uh, the lure you sold me or uh, that presentation or that place you told me to go, it really panned out. You know, I had the best trip in my life. Here's show me pictures. They show me pictures of the biggest wall I've ever caught now. And that, that that's kind of that full circle moment where you realize, you know, uh, it, it's, it's all worth it. Everything Everything I do is worth it. That's pretty amazing. And, you know, for Kyle and myself, you know, we're, we're no different than those customers. We, uh, we invited you on and we want to pick your brain a little bit and dive into a little bit of uh, some species and presentation talk. And what we had kind of, you know, talked about before we started recording was maybe kind of diving into panfish. I know you've got a, a sweet spot for ice fishing for panfish and not just all panfish, but big panfish. And what, um, what got you into that kind of passion for targeting big panfish and what's the advice that you give to people when they're, when that's something that they want to pursue? Yeah. So I guess I'll kind of start uh, backwards a little bit. Um, if you, for those who don't know me, uh, I, I'm a walleye guy through and through. Uh, walleyes are my favorite fish to catch. Um, there's something about, so growing up, I said, I fished that Creek uh, behind, uh, in, behind the bar in my campground. Um, the only fish I didn't catch out of that Creek was walleyes. Um, in their super early spring, when we go open up the camper in April, that's, I could see them because they, they would spawn in that creek, but obviously it was Minnesota before law and you couldn't fish for them. So that was the only time that those fish would be in that creek. Before I had access to a boat, I didn't really, you know, I didn't get a chance to fish for walleyes that often. Did some shore fishing my grandpa and devils in the mid 2000s, but I didn't get to fish for walleyes that often. And they always intrigued me because they were, you know, they were deep water offshore fish. They were the only fish that I couldn't see. 
uh, when I fished that creek, I got to see how, uh, you know, bass, uh, panfish, uh, uh, bullheads, pike, how they react to different lures, how they move, how they swim, how they eat. Walleyes, I couldn't see anything they did because they lived in such deep water. Um, so when I finally got a chance to fish them both and fish with really good walleye fishermen taught me so much about them, you know, I, I fell in love with how difficult they were to find and pattern and catch and just how uh, versatile the fish were. You know, walleyes throughout the course of their life, throughout the year, you know, they could be in two feet of water or they can be in uh, 80 feet of water. They could be eating, uh, feeding aggressively like northerns or they could be as, as finicky as uh, bluegills, you know. So the walleyes have my heart through and through except when the lakes freeze. Um, I still love chasing walleyes those first couple weeks of the ice season because uh, I'm a firm believer that the only difference between early ice and late fall when the bite is best is a few inches of ice on top of their head. Uh, it's the water temp's usually the same. They're still feeding pretty hard. Those big females are trying to develop their eggs, get as much food as possible. But then you slide, the, after you get that first cold snap of the winter, a lot of those fish go deep and they disperse. Uh, they're not in congested schools. Um, they're not feeding nearly as much. And also, I don't like to really target walleye deeper than about 33, 35 feet because they have to deal with barrel trauma. If you catch a big one, you got to keep it. You can't let it go. And then I'll do it again. I'll fish them again late ice uh, when the snow melts. You get that warm water start running back in. That's their first signal to start feeding again, keep developing those eggs, and get ready for the spring spawn. So, uh, well, I don't really fish walleye a lot in the winter. The other reason is because I, I kind of, you know, I started, said I started fishing walleye turns when I was 15. So that eats up so much of my season, uh, open water season. I love it. It's great. But I, I, I hit November. And I just, I get maybe a little burned out the right way to stay in walleyes. I just want something different. Um, so I started ice fishing when I was 11 and I've, I've always fished for panfish when I, uh, when we went to, when we went out on the ice, you know, uh, bluegills and crappies, uh, perch a little later on, but bluegills and crappies really got a, a sweet spot for me. Um, Really, because in the ice season they co they congregate really well. You usually find them in big groups, um, and they're usually pretty willing to bite all throughout the winter, early, mid, and late. You know, their attitudes might change a little bit, their location changes, but they're usually always willing to eat uh, throughout most of the winter. And when you find them, it's it's you don't usually find them, you know, a single or a two fish like you would wall big walleyes. You usually find them in either loose groups or big schools. So that's why uh, panfish you really have in my heart during the hard water season. And especially big panfish. I really got into chasing uh, trophy-sized panfish a few years ago um, because one day I actually stumped, you know, before I caught plenty of crappies, you know, eater crappies, you call them 10 to 12 inches, you know, a lot of eater bluegills, uh, 6 to 8. Um, when I was a kid, though, I caught a, I caught a giant bluegill through the ice. I caught one that was about 11 inches. Um, that, that's a big bluegill anywhere you go. And then a few years ago, I caught uh, my first really – I call giant crappies over 14 inches uh, through the ice. And ever since then, you know, this big fish intrigued me. Big fish of any species intrigued me. And I'm a firm believer uh, big fish are tougher to catch no matter what species. They're older, they're wiser, uh, they get to feed whenever they want, uh, and they get to eat whatever they want when they choose to. So it's, it's really, you really got to pattern them, and you really have to know what you're doing to consistently catch big fish of any species, especially big panfish. So just talking about big panfish here, Jaden, and, uh, you know, I think a lot of us grew up catching bluegills, catching panfish off the dock or, or even out in the boat, and that's how a lot of us cut our teeth on it. When we start differentiating what we consider trophy-sized panfish versus, you know, your, your standard just uh, uh, go and drop a, a little waxworm down the hole and, and pull up a, you know, 
a bluegill that's going to be as big as your your wallet, maybe, right? Just just kind of a the the typical standard bluegills that are in many lakes. What is the what's the differentiator there? Like, is it just putting in your time, or do you have to look in different places? Do you have to use different techniques? What what is the difference when you're out hunting them versus just just whatever panfish you run across? You know, I'd say it's a little both. Uh, first, just to clear up for people who are listening, uh, me, what I consider big panfish, crappies, I consider uh, uh, 14 inches and bigger. Those are your giants. Um, I don't keep any crappies 13 inches or bigger. Uh, to me, I, I said I'm a walleye fish, so I just go back to walleyes, right? Everyone loves eating walleyes. Your eater walleyes, for most people, I'd say, are 14 to 20, to 20 inches. Those are eaters most places you go. Then you, I'd say 20 to 27 are what I call picture fish. You know, they're nice fish. They're big fish, not giant. You know, a lot of people, I don't think, would put a 20 to 27-inch walleye on the wall. But it's a nice fish. Take a picture. You enjoy the fight. Let it go, right? Then your giants are 28-plus. You know, there's not many places where people would look at you funny for putting a 28-plus-inch walleye on the wall or, or considering that, calling that a giant walleye, right? That's a big fish pretty much anywhere you go. So I kind of use the same scale for panfish, right? For crappies, my eaters are anything from 10 to 12 inches. Those, I have no problem eating those. Anyone who wants to keep those, no problem at all. More power to you. Uh, I'd say 12 to 14, That I'd equate that to like a 22 to 27-inch walleye. It's a really nice fish. Um, it's a little big to keep. Uh, not many things in the lake are going to eat a 13-inch crappie. Um, so that's a good breeder. Let it go. Let it. It's gonna. It's gonna survive. It's reached adulthood. It knows how to survive. It's got good genes. It's gonna. It's gonna uh, spawn every spring and put good genetics back in the lake. You start talking 14 plus. You know, 14, 15, 16. And some places you run into the the freaks, the 17, 18 inch crappies. Those are big crappies anywhere you go. They really don't have to worry about predators. They act completely different. They got different attitudes. And they have phenomenal genetics. Every, every every fish they produce has a chance to get just as big or bigger than them. When we start talking about bluegills, my eaters are anywhere from seven to eight and a half, maybe nine. I'll, I'll eat those. I have no problem. Anyone wants to keep those. The uh, bluegills don't get as big, so their range is a bit smaller. So nine to ten inches. That's again, I consider that like a twenty-three to twenty-seven inch walleye. That's a nice big fish. Um, good genetics. It's going to be a good spawner. You want to let those ones go. Then with bluegills, you start talking the 10, anything 10 and up, that's, that's big. Um, that's like a 20 inch walleye plus. Um, other thing a lot of people don't realize about bluegills, uh, they're one of the slowest growing fish we have in the ice belt here. So they're, they're a very special fish. A 10 inch bluegill is usually 10 or 12 years old. Um, they grow very, very slowly. Um, so it's very important to let those fish go back because it takes time to grow that fish. I've seen lakes that you used to be able to consistently catch, you know, 10 inch plus bluegills out of get fished out after only two or three years. Cause everyone throws them in their bucket. Um, and then they come back, they fish them for three or four years. And they're like, we're, I can't find the big bluegills. Well, it's not that you can't find them. They're just gone. They're, they're in people's freezers. They're, they're dead. They're gone. So when you, when you fish out a bluegill lake like that, it could take 10, 15, 20 years, an entire generation before that population will make a comeback. Um, so just uh, just for people listening, I, I really encourage you, crappies, 14 and up, let them go or put them on the wall, more power to you. Uh, same with bluegills, 10 and up. Uh, those are special fish. Uh, let them go. Let them do their thing. Uh, you do that, uh, you're going to be able to enjoy those bites and those lakes for years to come. Um, but going back to your original question there, um, you know, is it presentation or is it uh, tactics or is it place you're fishing? It, it's 
a little bit of everything. Um, you can't catch what's not there. So I say you got to start with making sure you're fishing a body of water that has big panfish or has the ability to grow big panfish. And uh, my biggest tool for that is uh, the Minnesota uh, DNR, uh, their survey reports, their stocking reports. Um, when they survey lakes, you know, a lot of lakes, they survey every other year or maybe every three or four years. You're able to see, you know, what's in that lake. Um, so if I have a lake being surveyed every year, I can, you know, keep checking up on it. I can see, okay, let, you know, four years ago, there was a ton of eight to 10 inch crappies. Two years ago, a lot of them now 10 and 11. Now this year, you know, there's a ton of 10 to 12s and I even netted a few that were 14 plus. Okay. I know that, that lake, that lake has what I'm looking for right now. Or it might be, uh, I've fished lakes where I've caught big panfish that hadn't been surveyed since like 95 or 97. But when they surveyed those lakes, um, they caught 20 bluegills that were 10 to 11 inches long. So I know that lake has the genetics or the capabilities to grow those big panfish. And, you know, maybe it hasn't been fished in, in that long because it's not surveyed. It's not, you know, maybe maintained or uh, maybe it's on everyone's radar, like some of the bigger name lakes or the lakes with more data to them. So I'm not afraid to go there and try it out for myself. Um, and that leads into you need, you need to fish where big panfish are. And you need to be willing to put in the time. Um, with any species of fish, when you're talking big fish, I equate it more to deer hunting. Um, even though I'm not a hunter, I'm sure a lot, a lot of people out there can uh, uh, identify with this. I'm sure you guys can. Just you set your stand up in a prime deer spot. You go out there one night and see nothing. Are you going to give up the rest of the season? Absolutely not. No, exactly. You're going to you're going to go back just because you see them one night doesn't mean you're going to see it. Doesn't mean you're never going to see them. Um, I think a lot of people don't understand is when you're targeting the biggest fish in the lake let's say you have a, a lake with a population of bluegills and it's got you know a, a population of big fish that's the smallest percentage of all of all of all the population you got to look at it like a pyramid you know the let's say you cut the pyramid into thirds the bottom the bottom third of the pyramid is going to be the biggest that's going to have the most that's going to be your like four to six inch bluegills that there's going to be the most of them there's going to be more of them than there are the top and tip of the tip of pyramid you know those nine to eleven inch gills are just there's not going to be nearly as many as there are small fish so you're, you got to understand you're fishing for the smallest population um of the size of fish you're targeting and you're also fishing for the smartest wariest and uh uh i would say best survivors in the lake you know those those fish get to 10 12 years old not by being dumb uh they're very wary. They're very wary of noise. They're very wary of things that aren't natural. You know, a fish that's grown up in a lake for 10 or 12 years is very in tune with its environment. It understands everything that's going on. So if it hears or sees something that it's not used to seeing, uh, I've seen where fish, they'll take off and they won't come back near you for a long, for a long time. They'll stop feeding and they won't feed the rest of the day. Um, the other thing I think uh, people don't realize too is uh, your bite windows. Um, those big fish, they get to feed whenever they want. They choose when they feed. They're, they, they're not as opportunistic as little fish. You know, little fish sees a meal. It doesn't know when it's going to eat again. It's going to run and grab it before anything else can. Those big fish don't have nearly the same competition as those little fish can. So they can be a lot more selective about when and, when and what they want to eat. So I, I, what I, tell, I guess my advice to people who want to get into chasing big panthers is, one, make sure you're fishing water that actually has them or has the capabilities of growing them. And then, two, uh, make sure you're uh, 
you're you got to be almost perfect a lot of times to be able to catch those big ones make sure you're out there bright and early before the sun's up because a uh, big panther especially big crappies and bluegills they love the low light periods you know that twilight zone that magic prime time it's before it's uh right before the sun comes up right after the sun comes up and it's that, that 45 minutes after the sun goes down before it gets completely dark that's when you're going to have your uh, best uh action and movement from those biggest fish your best shot at catching them so i just tell guys fish where they're big fish uh put the work in and be prepared at all times because you never know when that mat, when that moment's going to come you don't get too many opportunities when you're fishing for the smallest group of fish in a, in a lake does that all make sense i got kind of long-winded there but no absolutely it makes sense when you're when you're targeting these fish you know you talked about catching the smallest percentage of those big fish are you typically sorting through a lot of fish i mean are you fishing just where there's fish or for those bigger fish is there certain areas where you're trying to maybe intercept or pick off some of those bigger fish in comparison to like just getting on a school of fish you know i found uh that really can depend on the lake um i have lakes where it's low population densities uh what i mean by that is there's not a lot of them but they usually get pretty big um one lake in particular uh uh it's it seems like if you catch a bluegill it's either 10 inches or bigger or it's six inches or smaller um and th those lakes they really kind of mix together um i'll be catching you know i'll catch like four or five little fish i'll see a group of them of xr all of a sudden they'll clear out and just one really big mark will slide in that's that trophy gill i'm looking for um same with crappies uh in that same lake it seems like i'm either catching eight nine inch crappies or i'm catching uh 14 plus you know pound and a half two pound crappies there's really no in between other lakes you know it seems like all the new classes will mix together so that's just, I guess that goes back to saying, uh, do your homework, do a little bit of research for you get on the water, see what, what's in the lake. If you're seeing a lake that has, let's say, three or four different generations of fish, you know, it's got a population of six-inch crappies. There's a big group of nine-inch crappies, a lot of 12-inch crappies, but it's also got a population of giants, 14-plus. It seems like the lakes where um, there's multiple generations of fish, they, they uh, separate more. Like they'll school more by size. Um, so I guess for saying that, so that same lake I mentioned where there's uh, maybe four different year classes of crappies, if you find a school and your first few fish you catch are all nine inches, probably the rest of them are going to be nine inches. If you want the bigger ones, you got to go find a, diff a completely different school versus it seems like the lake where there's not a ton of fish per se, like that first lake I mentioned was not a ton of bluegills. It seems like you either catch 10 inches or six inches it seems they all kind of just hoard together because there's only maybe one or two big populations of bluegills in that lake. They don't separate as much, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Jaden, let's talk uh, lure choice and lure selection. And I'm thinking, just listening to you talk, I'm thinking about in the summertime when you're out and you're pitching a number five shad wrap, right? And all of a sudden you come up with this just tank bluegill. Okay, it's not what you would expect, but it tells me that these fish are not afraid to chase after bigger meals, right? And and bigger presentations. Is that going to hold true when it comes into winter and during the ice season? Are you using different size, different types of presentations? Or are you sticking in with, with some of those real small uh, tungstens, plastics, worms, trying to mimic the, the invertebrates that they're feeding on? Yeah, um, so I just say uh, day in and day out, you, it is very hard to beat a uh, small tungsten jig and a plastic. Um, that will catch everything. That's probably my go-to. I catch most of my fish on that. 
Um, that's nice because, like I said, you literally can catch everything. You can catch the six-inch skills, eight-inch skills, along with the 10 to 12-inch skills. You can catch the Giants on that too. Um, and on your tough fights, uh, I seem to always fall back on that. You know, maybe high-pressure systems or a lot of – this winter has had a ton of different fronts coming through. So the fish have, don't really know what to do all the time. They, they think they need to feed, but they don't want to, or they want to feed, but it's not the right conditions. Um, so I had to deal with a lot of tougher bites this year. Um, so I've been really leaning on – a. a you know, finesse tactics a lot more than I usually would in the winter. You know, I've been doing a lot of small punks in the plastic and a lot more meat this year than I ever have before. Um, I've been using a lot of wax rooms this year just because that's, that's what I needed to use to catch fish um, to give them a bite. Uh, I would say, though, uh, if I had a perfect world where uh, the fish were going and they eat what I, they always want to eat what I want to use, um, some of my babe favorite uh big panfish baits are uh like small number three number four ripping wraps um number two number three jigging wraps you know bigger minnow style baits because uh, i think you said perfectly you know i think we've all had experiences where we're walleye fishing you know open water um pulling crankbaits and also you catch just a giant crappie or beluga and you're like wow that's weird that a fluke you throw back then you might go through the same spot and catch another one well uh i've said it in another conversation with people um I only need something to happen like two or three times for like, all right, that's a pattern. Like uh, I, I, there are very few flukes in, in fishing. I, I'm a firm believer in that. Um, something happened once. Yeah. You could probably chalk it up as a fluke, but if you're seeing it happen repeatedly, you know, over the course of a season or just, or different times you're out there, there's more, there's where there's smoke, there's fire. There's more to it than maybe what you're really, you're, what you're really seeing. So, um, when I'm targeting big fish, I like to use big fish baits, uh, just start. Um, cause you can always dial it back. It, I always tell guys, start fishing fast and aggressive. You'll know within the first two or three fish to come in if that's what they want for the day. If your first two or three fish come in and you're ripping a number three ripping wrap up and down and they're coming in, they're interested, but they're not eating. All right. You probably either got to change up your cadence. Uh, another fish comes in and still the same deal, not interested. All right. You got to change. Uh, that's when I'll go to maybe a smaller spoon or still not get nothing there. Then I'll, I'll go down that overliable little tungsten jig with a plastic or some meat on it um and that, that i think that works so well is because when you start talking crappie and a crappie especially once once a crappie it's 14 inches um that it's it's a different fish uh, uh you know I, I fish with jason mitchell and he, he says it really well you know you start about different species you know like once perch hit 13 14 inches once crappies hit 14 15 inches, once gills hit 10 inches you know that's a special fish and it's, it's a different fish. You know, you, you, you hold up a, a 10 inch gill next to like an eight inch gill. It doesn't look, it almost sometimes doesn't look like the same species. You know, um, they're so much fatter, bigger mouths, bigger foreheads. They're thicker, they're heavier. Um, those fish are predators, especially crappies. Um, uh, if you, if though, for those of us, if you've never had the privilege of holding a 14, 15 inch crappie, you compare that to a 12 inch crappie. It's night and day. That mouth on a 14 inch crappie is huge. I mean, they have no, they have no problem eating. And what I found uh, a lot of times, um, big crappies favorite meal is like four to six inch bluegills. Uh, if I'm a lot of my best big crappie lakes uh, are filled with tiny little bluegills. And that's what a lot of those fish are eating, especially if they're relating to weed lines. So that's where a rip, a number three or four rip and wrap. If you look at it, it looks just like a small little bluegill. And I've had 14, 14 inch crappies absolutely inhale number three and four ripping wraps like i'm talking back in the gill rakers trying to swallow it before you can even set the hook so i just i, I would tell people who are targeting big panfish 
Um, don't be afraid to fish really fast and aggressive. And I say always start that route. It's a, I, I equate it to a lot like trying to sell something online. You always start higher than what you think you really sell for because you can always negotiate a lower price, right? You can't, you can't, nego- you can't start selling something at 200 bucks and try to negotiate. Well, actually, would you, would you rather do 250 or 300? No, he's, he's, they're, they're going to laugh at you. So same with fish. Give them, you know, something really big and aggressive. Start, start high and then work your way down. Let the fish tell you what they want if they're, if they're going to bite on that that day. So not to uh, give up any of your favorite uh, honey holes for where you've been fishing, but is there, uh, you know, maybe some lakes that you, you know, like to target? Is there something maybe on your, on your radar or bucket list, something that's, you know, maybe not so secret, but something that you uh, are looking at targeting to get on some of these bigger panfish types lakes? You know, um, one, I, that's, that's a good question. I always, I always want, there's always places I want to go. I think about that every day. Oh, where, where's next? Where can I go? Um, just for those listening, um, I live in Fargo. Uh, majority of my pan fishing I do in Minnesota. In, uh, I'm pretty blessed to live in Fargo because I'm literally only 45 minutes to an hour. Some of the best fishing in West Central Minnesota. And that's uh, Detroit Lakes area. And then, you know, the famous Ottertail County. That's literally my backyard. That's where I've learned, I've learned, I've learned to fish and grew up fishing my whole life. So um, pretty blessed there. I have a lot of great lakes uh, in my in my area. Um, you know, I, I have no problem getting a few that aren't secret that are great lakes. You know, uh, uh, Leaf Lake over in Becker County is one of my favorites. That's where I start my ice season every single year. It's more of a tradition for me than anything. Uh, I've fished there every ice season since I was uh, 11 years old. Um, it's got a great population of bluegills, great population of eater crappies. Um, what I'm really excited for is uh, – the last like three or four years, I've really seen the gills grow up. It was used to be just a place you go to fill a bucket with uh, six to eight inch gills. But then about three years ago, I started catching a lot of nine, nine and a quarter, nine and a half inch gills. Like, okay, there might, we might be able to get something out of here. I might be able to get that magical 10 mark. Uh, you fast forward the next year, start seeing a lot of nine and a half, a lot of nine and three quarters. Like, okay, we're still getting there. Last year, I was getting so many gills I thought were 10, but they just weren't, you know, they're bigger than nine three quarter, but they weren't 10. Uh, and then this year I finally got, I was able to connect on a few that were at or just over 10. So it's cool to see how the fishery has changed for the better, just gotten better and better as far as the class of gills in there. Uh, same with the crappies. Um, when I was a kid on leaf, you could get, when you go out there, you could usually count on getting three or four, you know, 12 to 14 inch crappies, some big crappies and along with your eaters still too. Uh, it got hit a little hard when I was in middle school. I think Seeker kind of got out, um, and a lot of people uh, threw those big crappies in a pail. And I saw, you know, you couldn't get a crappie over 10 inches for like five years. Uh, last few years, I just started seeing them grow a little more, too, to where this year, I mean, uh, I knew of a couple 14 inches that were caught out of there. Um, I myself got one that was 13 and a half. But this year, I saw more 10 to 12-inch crappies than I've ever seen out of the lake before. So it was just a, made for a phenomenal early ice bite. Uh, there's a lot of people who got out there and enjoyed it. Um, a lot of people were to take fish home. I think a lot of people were respectful enough to understand, you know, these big panfish haven't always been here, and we want to keep seeing them here. So I, what really warmed my heart is I saw a lot of people throw, you know, those bigger nine-and-a-half-inch gills back, which is cool to see. Um, another great lake we have in our area that had a great bite, uh, Big Pine, is a phenomenal uh, crappie lake. Um, I'd say for people who want to understand or learn what a basin fishing is or chasing crappies out in the basin, that is a textbook lake for it. It's got like five or six big basins, all 25 to 35 feet 
where the crappies just hoard up in. You can you drill enough holes, you're going to land on. They mark clear as day, and they're usually pretty aggressive or at least willing to feed. So those are some great lakes to try out for people in the area that are looking for a good uh, place to find good panfish bites. Um, I guess as far as destinations for me, um, there's a few on my list. I would love to get up to the Turtle Mountains in North Dakota and chase bluegills. I have a few friends that did it a few years ago. Um, they uh, they caught two of the biggest gills I've ever seen. One was just over 11 inches. It was about well over a pound and a half. Uh, another one of them caught a 12-inch gill that was, uh, I'd, I, I think it was just under, just over two pounds. Um, and though, there, though that lake is well known for producing fish like that every single year. So I'd like to get up there and hopefully catch the bluegill of a lifetime. I'd also like to get out to uh, South Dakota and chase crappies in the Glacial Lakes region. Um, one nice thing about the Dakotas here, you see our perch and walleyes everyone catch, you know, they're stupid fat, right? You'll catch a 22 inch walleye that weighs like four or five pounds, but it's got the head of a 17 inch or just, it, look, it looks fake. You know, you, I always say that you catch these perch out here, you'll get a 14 inch perch that has the head of a 10 incher and it weighs, you know, two, two and a half pounds. It looks Photoshopped in real life, just as you're sitting there holding it. Um, a lot of people sleep on the fact that if you have lakes that grow perch and walleyes that way, it'll grow everything that way. Everything will grow quick and fat, the pike, the bass. And that leads me to what I want to chase South Dakota is the crappies. Um, a good friend of mine just what, just came back from a trip a couple of weeks ago and he iced more crappies over two pounds in one, in one go in like two days out of South Dakota I'd ever seen before. I mean, he li- at one point he literally had, he sent me a video. He had eight or 10, 15 plus inches flopping on the ice because they were getting them that de- they were pulling them out of school as fast as they could. Then the weather was nice. They were able to release all the fish right away after the school moved on. So they didn't kill or keep any of those giants. But yeah, that really, that really got me going uh, to get out to South Dakota to chase some of those big panfish they got out there. You know, that Glacier Lake, South Dakota region is more known for perch and walleye, and deservedly so, you know, they're phenomenal fishing. But there's a handful of lakes out there that have absolutely trophy world-class uh, bluegills and crappies. So I'd like to try my hand at that. How fun. If you're listening to the podcast and you can't find a place to go fish now, you need to rewind and go back and listen to this whole thing again <laughs> because... Uh, You've laid out some great advice, Jaden. I know we're uh, we're about at that time frame here, and we've covered a lot of ground. There's going to be a lot of folks listening that are going to want to follow you. They're going to want to find you. They want to know where you're at. We all know that uh, if you're in the Fargo area, you can stop in at the Shield store there and, and see your smiling face up in the fishing department. But what about everybody else? Uh, social media, Where where do you like to kind of share your experiences? Yeah, I do most of my sharing uh, on my Instagram account. I made a fishing Instagram account uh, three years ago now, and it was one of the best things I ever did. Um, I've gotten to connect me with some of my best fishing friends I've ever met. I've gotten to have great conversations with people I never would have had before. It's just a place where I can just share all my fishing experiences with people. Um, it's at, uh, at Jaden Thomas Fishing uh, on Instagram. Give me a follow. I uh, usually follow back. Uh, if, if you got one fish, at least one fishing picture on your account, I'll follow back because that means I can relate to you in at least some way. Um, and I, I'm one, I don't really care about followers or likes, the amount of likes a post gets or who sees my stuff. Um, if, I, uh, if my stuff's for you, great. If not, that's fine. Um, there's something out there for everybody. Um, I'd say if you follow my account, uh, feel free to, if you ever got questions or just want to talk, you can, my DMs are open. You can shoot me a message. Uh, we'll talk. Um, 
I usually post on my story a lot when I'm fishing, like people follow along. I don't put as many posts out, I'd say, as other people. I usually save my posts for when I have, you know, a story to tell or maybe a, a, a big event app. You know, I caught a, a, what I consider a trophy fish. So you might not see me post. You only see, only see me put an actual post out once every month or so. But, uh, yeah, I'm usually pretty active on there. And uh, that uh, that actually leads me to something else I got to say. I got to give a shout out uh, to a few people. Um, you know, I, I've learned a lot uh, about big panfish. I love it, but I, I didn't I didn't get this way on my own. Um, and that, I I think a lot of people can test to that. It, it it's I think the best thing about fishing a lot of test too is the camaraderie you get from it and just the relationships you're able to develop from that. And because of of my love for fishing, my love for big panfish. I've gotten to become good friends and know some of the best panfish I've ever met. Um, four of them, who I can say, have had the biggest influence on me as far as panfishing, you know, showing a walleye guy how to do it and do it the right way. Um, Connor Kleist um, from Ottersdale County Guide Service, he's, he's the best panfish I've ever met. That he, he, he is to crappies as I am to walleyes. I call him the crappie king. He is always on them. Uh, I've... Everywhere he goes, he catches big, big panfish, big crappies. It, it's actually pretty incredible. It's, I, I've been left without words sometimes at how consistent he is, especially for big crappies. So shout out to Connor. He's taught me a lot about where to fish, what to look for. Uh, another good gentleman, uh, Andrew uh, Spocks Bukowski, um, another phenomenal panfishman. He's taught me a lot. Uh, Brenton Lopez has showed me a lot, especially comes to big bluegills as far as how to finesse them and you know how to get big bluegills to bite consistently. And then also uh, Matt Waldo Waldron uh, from the cities. Uh, he has a, a pretty good uh, YouTube series called The Crappie Chronicles, where they chase, you know, the biggest crappies in the Twin Cities metro area, along with a few other of his buddies down there. Um, Waldo uh, really helped me understand, you know, what to look for when you're out fishing as far as, you know, what they're eating, how to, uh, how to present to them exactly what they're going to want to eat day in and day out, um, how, how to pay attention to little things, you know, the bugs swimming around in the water, you know, what time are these fish coming through? When are they leaving? So without those four guys, I definitely wouldn't be the pan fisherman today. So I just wanted to make sure they got their credit where their credit's due. Yeah, if you're not uh, following the guys mentioned uh, on social media, I mean, their faces are pretty well known. And, you know, they're uh, a lot of big personalities that like to share their experiences online as well. And it's fun to follow all of those guys. Uh, enjoy following you, Jaden, as well. Um, it's always fun to be able to share those adventures. And like you said, it is about sharing those experiences with other people and, you know, trying to put somebody else on that bite or get a big smile on their face. And, you know, I think you can attest and I'm sure Kyle's the same way, you know, if everybody has questions, you know, feel free to reach out and ask. It's the only way we learn. And Kyle and myself, uh, we have the opportunity to to share the stage with some great guests on the podcast and, and pick their brains. So Jaden, I just want to thank you again for joining us on the podcast. Uh, you know, it was a great time talking to you tonight and uh, really enjoyed it. And I hope to have you on the podcast again, and hopefully we can get on the ice soon. Hey, I, once again, I appreciate you guys. Uh, I'll say again, you guys do a phenomenal job on here. You have great people on to discuss great topics. It's, a pleasure, it's always been a pleasure listening to you guys, and it's really an honor that you were willing to have me on, uh, just a normal guy who likes to fish hard and gets lucky from time to time, uh, just share what I've learned through my experiences and my uh, conversation with other people. So thank you guys for having me. Um, if you ever have me back, it, I'd be even more honored.
<laughs> Absolutely. We're all just a bunch of average anglers out here. So again, <laughs> thanks again for joining us. Thanks to our listeners for joining us on this episode of Shack Talk Podcast. Uh, thanks to Eskimo again for, for providing us this platform. And until next time, get on the ice, have some fun, and get out fishing.